Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast. In this Integrated Cancer Medicine Research in Focus series, I talk to various ICM members about their research and how it is supported by the vision of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine. MFICM Research uses cutting-edge analytics to maximise the use of diverse high-volume datasets and by capturing cancer heterogeneity in time and space in patients receiving active treatment. Integrated Cancer Medicine aims to transform the way the world treats cancer by affecting patients along their treatment pathway and ultimately accelerate cures. Today I have with me Professor Florian Markovitz to talk about his work and recent publication on chromosomal instability. Florian is group leader at the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Institute at the University of Cambridge. So to start with, Florian, can you tell us what the term chromosomal instability means, please? Chromosomal instability is a process of DNA change. So it's a dynamic process which leads to some pieces of DNA being there multiple times and some other pieces of DNA being lost. And there are some cancers where this happens very little and there are some cancers which are dominated by it. And the cancers I work in, they are the really deadly ones. Their genomes are completely messed up because they have very high levels of this chromosomal instability and as a result show enormous number of DNA changes. And how will this research allow more accurate treatments to be developed? So the problem we are facing in these very deadly cancers like ovarian, pancreatic, triple negative breast cancers is that the copy number changes, the DNA changes that we see, very few of them are recurrent across patients because these genomes are very chaotic. These DNA changes appear once or twice, but not very often. That means that for these cancers, we don't have very good biomarkers to guide treatment decisions. Now, what my lab has done, we have found a structure underlying chromosomal instability, and we have identified genomic fingerprints. So from a genome, we can read out what is the underlying reason for the DNA changes that we see. And each of these causes is generally a problem the cell has. It's some DNA repair pathway or the other is not working the way it should. So every one of these molecular causes is a weakness of the cell. And if it's a weakness, we can target it. So the poster child of this is called HRD, homologous recombination deficiency. So this is the deficiency of one particular DNA repair pathway, homologous recombination repair. When this is deficient, this leads to an accumulation of DNA changes, which we can read out with our copy number signatures that tell us what type of chromosomal instability we're seeing. But it is also directly linked to a drug we can give, for example, ARP inhibitors or other types of drugs in the same class. And that then leads to these cells selectively dying. And so it's a very targeted therapy that we can pick based on information of what type of chromosomal instability happens in the cell. You've already spoken about this a little bit, but will it be applicable to lots of different types of cancer? Are there some types of cancer that it works particularly well for and some that it doesn't work at all for? So what we have done is we have a very, in a way, generic uh, approach that works across all cancer types. If you give me a genomic profile, a DNA profile of a cancer, and I can tell you which types of chromosomal activity are active in there. Now, some cancers don't have any copy number changes at all, and then we'd have nothing to work with. So if your thyroid cancers are very flat, 
some of them are in the middle. I mean, your normal breast cancer shows some, but some of them are just dominated by DNA changes. So again, ovarian, pancreatic, triple negative breast cancer, some forms of lung and brain cancer. In those, it works particularly well. And these are exactly the cancers where we have not seen any increase in patient survival over the last decades because this genomic chaos was so great that nobody knew what to do with it. Do you think that these discoveries will help improve survival rates of patients? We definitely hope so. Now, our academic research in itself doesn't do anything for patients. I mean, we just write a nice paper, maybe get on the cover of a shiny magazine, but this in itself doesn't do anything. The reason we think that our research will make it different in the clinic, there are two or three reasons for that. One is that in the UK, DNA sequencing for patients is very widely developed. So most cancer patients in the clinic, especially in these cancers that we just talked about, will have a DNA profile, and then we can work with that. And there are all these uh, endeavors like Genomics England that just make sure there's more and more DNA sequencing getting into the clinic and more patients benefit from that. But then also proactively, we try to develop our approach into a product that can help patients in the clinic. And we have started our own company to do this, and we've partnered up with Illumina, who are a world leader in cancer genomics, who have a technology to um, profile mutations in cancer genomes. And everybody who uses that technology, called the TSO 500, will get our results on top of everything else in a way for free. So we're really putting a lot of effort into spreading our technology across the country, across Europe, across the world, and helping patients with it. I know that this research has enabled the formation of the spin-off company, Taylor Bio. And what does the company produce? So is that the company that you were talking about just then? That is the company I'm talking about. It's Taylor, because we do tailored therapies. Makes sense. We're quite successful. So far, we've been funded through grants. We got these very competitive Innovate UK grants. We were part of the first global accelerator program that Illumina had. So we have quite some successes to celebrate. And we are signing all the paperwork to get our first seed raise and get the first millions in. The goal of the company is, is twofold. Part of it is, and that's the easy task, it's diagnostics. So a patient is in the clinic, has a very messed up genome, nobody knows what to do with them. Then we have the tools, this co a copy number signature approach, to read out of the genome the fingerprints of different mutational processes, and based on which fingerprints we see, decide on the right therapy. Now, the second arm of Taylor is actually developing these therapies because in, in our analyses, which we have published, we found that these copy number signatures are very indicative. Well, they are very predictive for, for, for different drugs, but they also pointed us to new drug targets where no drugs have been developed for uh, so far. And so our tool, which allows us these signatures, which allow us to profile model systems, they allow us to, to profile patients. They will help us in finding the right uh, models to develop drugs against specific forms of chromosomal instability. And that is what the main part of Taylor will be in the coming years. And in order to do that, do you use AI to predict the, the response and tailor the treatment? Is that something that you use algorithms and the like? I was trained as a mathematician. So I try to be very specific about what AI is. At the moment, the way it's being used is very specific for a particular type of algorithms using deep learning, neural networks. We're not using any of that. We're still using 
sophisticated and advanced data science tools, but they are a mixture models and matrix decomposition. This is compared to all the cool new deep learning, very old fashioned. In our work, we have a classifier, we have a predictor, which takes these different signatures and predicts whether a patient is sensitive to platinum resistance or not. That is again, not deep learning. We use two numbers for each patient. We have one of the signatures, which tells us whether the patient has a severe form of impaired homologous recombination. And we have one signature, which constitutes a baseline. And then we, we just compare these two numbers. And if the, the number standing for the actionable form of homologous recombination deficiency is bigger than the baseline, we say, I guess they will be sensitive. The reason this works is because we spend lots of years, I mean, the, the, the mathematics, the data analysis, there was a minor part of the work. What we really spent our time on was to gain an understanding of the biology of these different signatures. So if I tell you, I, I found signature five in the genome, what does that actually mean? And we spent lots of years on this, just integrating all the data we could find, looking through tons of associations, just to form a comprehensive picture, kind of triangulate the biological function and meaning of all these signatures. And I think because we did a good job and understand the signatures very well now, our classifiers in the end can be very, very simple. Is this all still in the research setting or have you actually impacted real life patients with these new ideas? Impacted for the better, you mean? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, it's still in the research setting and the impact on real life patients will, I think it depends on the development of Taylor. But even there currently, we, we work with other partners. We have customers and partners with other pharma companies. So it's still very much in the research setting. One of the Taylor co-founders is my colleague here at the Institute, Professor James Brenton. And so we have a very direct link to the clinic. And we now have people like, you see, getting stuff to the clinic is nothing that happens so easily. I mean, it's very hard, which is the reason why very few people actually are successful. So what we now have, we have people who do a PhD just on trying to get the research stuff into the clinic. That will still take a few years. So the answer really so far is no, but we're working towards it. And not only because everybody will tell you they're working towards helping patients. We actually have a plan and we're acting on this plan. Do you see that this would become standard of care if it did get into the clinic? Do you think this would become standard of care? Why should I not say yes? Of course, I hope this. It will depend on many factors. I mean, we so far, it's, as I said, research only. So we will really have to see whether we can get the same readouts, the same quality, the same predictive power in routine settings in the clinic. But the framework we have is very broad. It works across cancer types. It works across different types of chromosomal instability. So there is really a chance that in some cancer type, some of this will be decisions which are a state of care. What impact do you think that this would have on patient treatment outcomes should it become standard of care? It's not standard of care yet. I don't know if it will become standard of care. And even then, uh, it's very hard for me to make any claim. However, the bar is pretty low because the cancers we work with have not seen any benefit, any improvement over decades. So if we really, if it's true, and I think it is that we've found something important here to organize these highly chaotic cancers, and we are for the first time have some biomarkers in these cancers, which have not existed before. 
then any improvement will be a big improvement because so far there has been nothing. Sure, it has potential to be transformational. Does it require specific equipment? And if it does, how do you envisage it working outside of Cambridge? So yes, what we need is DNA copy number profiles. So we need for the whole genome, ideally, we need to know how often different pieces of DNA appear. Now, there's many different ways in how you could get those profiles. Currently, there's lots of DNA, deep whole genome sequencing in the clinic. That is very good. But we have developed our technology on shallow whole genome sequencing, something that is very, very cheap, and it works very well on that. And we have tested it across a wide range of different sequencing and genomic profiling uh, platforms, and it works for all of them. Can't claim it works really well for all of them, but we can get it to work for all of them. So yes, you need you need to have a genomics something, but if, if you get that sorted, and here in the UK, it should be easy. I mean, with Genomics England and sequencing go, going everywhere, we're really on the right track for this. As soon as you can measure DNA, we're on board. I mean, we, we, we can work with this. Tell me what the challenges and the opportunities are of a chromosomal instability. The challenges are of chromosomal instability. It messes up your genome terribly. You don't want it. For our research, the well, the opportunities are obviously that for cancers, which where we haven't seen any improvement for decades, we might now see some. The opportunity might be that we can develop drugs particularly targeted against different types of chromosomal instability. There have been some before, so the, these PARP inhibitors, I would say, are one of them. But this is against one type of chromosomal instability, and there are many. So maybe we can just broaden the scope. The challenges are the same you have for many technologies. You have to take these DNA measures for every patient, but I guess this we're on a good way ahead. And our technology needs to be very widely benchmarked, um, assessed, and validated because we've done the best we could. Um, we used the biggest data set we could use, which is the Cancer Genome Atlas, which was uh, more than 6,000 patients. But that was all retrospective with pretty old data. So the big challenge will be if we go prospective, if we now, out of our kind of platform work, we have specific hypotheses of which of these the signatures are indicative of which treatment. If we take this forward in trials, how oh, well will it perform? I don't know. Well, hopefully it does. Do you think this could be incorporated into the integrated cancer medicine approach? Sure. Why not? I mean, you guys do DNA already, right? So, I mean, our technology, really, because it's it's in a way independent of the technology you use. You give me a DNA profile of a tumor, I give you my signatures. You can then incorporate it and correlate it and integrate it with any other information you have. I'm biased. I will obviously tell you that in the highly chromosomal instable cancers, my signatures will be the best thing you get and nothing else will compare with it. But th there is a chance, obviously, that for other cancers, other stuff might work better. Yeah, no, I like that. And where will your research take you in the next five to 10 years, do you think? So for the next five years, the big thing is I've tried to explain that the signatures are fingerprints of different weaknesses, different mutational processes in the cell. Now they can change over time, which is one of the reasons that patients get resistant to particular treatments. So, for example, again, people get resistance to barb inhibition because maybe the tumor over time changes from homologous recombination deficient to homologous recombination proficient. There's many reasons why this could happen. It has been really hard to have generic measures of the activity 
of different chromosomal instability processes. And that's something I would like to develop. And my way forward is to take the signatures that we have developed in bulk samples. So bulk means taking all the cells together in a sample and now applying them to single cells. And the idea is that if we find events in single cells which are unique or don't happen in so many, then they are new. And if they are new, then they are indicative of mutational processes which are currently ongoing in those patients. And if they are currently ongoing, then those are the ones we should target and not the ones which are historic and we don't know if they're still there. So on the research side, everything I do is now about the dynamics of mutational processes over time. And the tools we use is single cell RNA sequencing. And that will be exciting because um, there's many other mutational processes out there, others based on single nucleotide variants. But the sequencing technologies, they're very noisy. It's very hard to do the same approach I want to do for SNV signatures. And it, we really benefit from the fact that copy number changes are often big. I mean, they're all, all bigger than single nucleotide changes, but some of them are really big. So we can spot them quite accurately in single cells. And that gives us a resolution and with that a, a time dimension that other approaches don't have. And that will be really exciting to see. So Florian, how is your research funded? So the major part has been funded by Cancer Research UK. And going forward, my next big project was an ERC advance grant until because of uh, political complications, it is now funded by the UKRI and I'm very thankful to them. Where do you think integrated cancer medicine will take us in the next five to 10 years? To the stars. Good answer. <laughs> so in my own work, we do lots of integrative stuff, especially in ovarian cancer. And it's just very clear that you need different disciplines to make sense of this disease. So for example, ovarian cancer, one of the big problems is how do you measure response? In, in some cancers like breast, it's very simple. Ovarian cancer, everything is much harder. So we have work on teaming up with imaging specialists and genomics people and bringing all of this together to just get a simple response measure. And that is really the foundation for all ongoing research because without a response measure, how will you measure how well different drugs do? I mean, it's really the foundation. And already for that, we need integrative cancer medicine. Hi, Lauren. It's been great talking with you today and uh, really interesting to hear about your work. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, giving me the opportunity to be here. If you want to find out more about the work of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine, please visit our website at www.integratedcancermedicine.org where you can find details of the ICM vision, all the current research, clinical trials, resources, publications and team information. You can keep up to date with our latest news and events and you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you would like more information about the work of the CRUK Cambridge Centre, please go to www.cruk.cambridgecentre.org.uk or you can connect with us on Twitter using our handle at CIUK Can Centre. Thanks for listening and do join us again soon.